Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than Anything you've ever known It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand Before the judgment seat of God Amen (laughs) And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes At the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might Of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He is the only shelter From the coming storm Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone you builders rejected has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved. You know, we're uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable because it sounds like we don't have much wiggle room. So what you have to do with this is either say, yes, salvation is found in no one else under heaven but Jesus. Or you say, I don't believe that. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to blow off this whole thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not good news to me. You have a very clear decision. Now, we're not comfortable with that kind of decision because we expect that people will accede to our demands. They will do what we want them to do. People get angry at me when I don't respond, when they expect me to respond, or they get angry when I when I don't communicate the way they expect me to communicate. We have these incredible demands that we make of those around us. They should do what we want them to do, and especially if there is a God, and there is. He should do what I want him to do. Well, I've been looking with you at the book of Acts. There's one story in the book of Acts that I frankly, I don't like, and I usually skip over it. I read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, time after time. But this story, I usually either speed read or just... I skip it. I don't like it. Why? 
Well, it's the story of a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. He demanded that God do and accept him the way he was. See, we, for some reason, think that God is malleable, that we can bend and twist him the way we want to, and he's going to accept us and love us in this very foolish lie that's being taught in the American churches. Jesus loves us unconditionally. Nothing could be further from the truth. If God were to love us unconditionally, it would mean that he would give us what we want, when we want it, that we could bend him, that he would be changed as we want him to change. He would have a rubber nose and we'd be able to twist it, whatever we want it to do with it. No, God is not changeable. God is God. And if you think he's unreasonable for saying that salvation is found in no one else, that no other name under heaven except that of Jesus, can you be saved? If you don't like that, well, you can't change it. You can't change God. God is who he is. And if you want to argue with him, you don't like what he's saying, or you don't like what he does, or you think he's some far-off distant God and you don't have to pay attention to him, you're mistaken. He is the absolute authority over your life, and he will decide whether you live or die. He will decide the outcome of your life. He will give his angels direction regarding you as he makes the final judgment in your case. And you will have no say in that final judgment. The judgment will be made about you outside of you. You will not be able to bribe, convince, argue. You will not be able to say that's not fair. You will have no say in the matter. But the fact is, he will make a judgment regarding you. And he's made very plain the basis of that judgment. Look carefully at Romans, the sixth chapter. It's a very clear basis of judgment. He opens the way for you to enter into him. So if you say to me, you know, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if, if God loves me. Well... Probably, you've been trying to force God to bend your way, and God doesn't bend. Please hear me. God is God. He never makes a mistake. He is utterly infallible. My spirit testifies with the Holy Spirit that I am a child of God. That does not mean that I can then come to him and twist him into thinking 
that I should receive what he doesn't want to give me, that I should get what I want. No. It's not going to work. That's not how it works. This story of Ananias and Sapphira is is terrifying, but it's also very clear. They have membership in the New Testament church. It's a time of great excitement. There's much action going on. People are being healed. They're coming and giving themselves utterly into the hand of God. They are aligning themselves with the apostles' teaching about Jesus. They are... They are of one heart and mind. Now, let's say a person comes, and they are not of that one heart, and they are not of that one mind. And a nice and Sapphira came. And with his wife's full knowledge, when he sold a piece of property that he had pledged to give entirely for the needs of the New Testament church, everybody believes he's coming and laying the money at the apostles' feet to be used for the work of advancing the kingdom of Jesus. It's all about the kingdom of Jesus. The authority of the heavenly realm has now touched earth, and there is an intrusion into the wickedness of this world with the righteousness of God. Jesus rent the fabric of the demonic. And now Jesus has opened a way for us to leave the demonic realm and enter into the holy of holies in heaven. So, he sold his property and he brings that with his wife's full knowledge and he kept back a part of the money. But he didn't tell anybody. It was his property. He was able to dispose of it as he chose. He was able to sell it as he chose. He was able to contribute the portion he chose, but he lied. On one side, he wanted everybody to think that he was of one mind and one soul with them and that he was giving what he promised he would give. He wanted that recognition. But the fact is, in his hidden heart, he was a liar. Now, I meet people like this. I meet people who lie to themselves and to God. They seem very eager to know Jesus. They seem eager to be a Christian. But they don't walk it. They're demanding. They're impatient. They're hard-headed. They want what they want, and they want the world to bend to their wants. And if 
the world doesn't bend. And if God doesn't bend, then they're totally blown away. They don't know which direction to go. They don't know if they're loved by God or not. Well, why? Because they're out there on their own. They've lied to God. The greatest problem we face today in the church is men and women saying, I belong to Jesus. But they're lying. They don't belong to Jesus. They belong to themselves. Why? Because they've held back a part of their life. And they've not released that into the hand of Jesus. I talked with a man this morning. He was so struggling in his spirit to understand the old, the new covenant, struggling to understand very specific scriptures that he shared with me. And at the very heart of why he was struggling is the He wants a foundation to stand on that he would not go back to his old sin, that he would not be consumed by his old sin, that he could walk clean before God. Great earnestness in his heart that he should be acceptable before the throne of God. I love this man. He doesn't want to lie to Jesus. He wants to honestly say, I belong to Jesus, and I am standing by faith, and I'm not going to waver in that position of trusting fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. That's very exceptional. Almost everyone I know reserves for themselves a portion of their life where they make the decisions. They say, oh, I belong to Jesus. I'm his disciple. But in truth, they're not. In truth, they have divided their property. And they've said, this portion I will give, and this portion I will keep for myself. But I'm going to tell everybody that I've given everything to Jesus but they haven't. They haven't given in their money. They haven't given in their time. They haven't given everything of their energies. They have reserved for themselves that portion that they desire to have for their own private world. They are lying to God, and they're lying to the church. This is what Ananias and Sapphira did. They held back a part of the money. They brought the rest of it, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And he comes in, and Peter is standing there and says to him, Ananias, this is uh, Acts, the fifth chapter, Verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? 
What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. You said you were going to bring it all and lay it at the altar, but you didn't bring it all. You kept a portion for yourself. Now, if that's serious before God, and I'll show you how serious this is in just a moment. How serious do you think it is when you keep back a part of your life for yourself, for your pleasure, for what you desire? How do you think God looks at a man or a woman who steals money from him? But yea, let me ask another question. How do you think God looks at a man or a woman who steals themselves from Almighty God? You see, God doesn't bend to suit our whims. God doesn't bend to suit our desire to be able to walk in our flesh, our wickedness. He doesn't bend to that. He wants a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. Well, what is a spot or a wrinkle? It's an area of our life that we've kept for ourselves. And we've said, I've given everything to Jesus. But you haven't. You haven't. You kept back a portion for yourself. You have stolen yourself from the hand of God. I've struggled with this just about all my life. It's only been in recent years that I finally have said, all right, even this little space that I've claimed for myself, I now give to you, Jesus. I don't want any space in my life for me. I want it all for Jesus. Now, some of you have kept back intellectual property from Jesus. You want to be able to think what you want to think. You want to be able to decide what you want to decide. You want to be able to go where you want to go. And you think, okay, God understands. He's given me free will. I can go where I want to go. Absolutely you can. But if you lied to God, did you tell him you belong to him? Did you tell him that he had total ownership of your life? And then you took it back? Does God own your life? Let me turn to a a scripture, please. First Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Do you not know, verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite it with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I was struggling, agonizing before God day after day. I was in a a terrible situation financially. The house we were in was going to be evicting us. All the utilities were going to be shut down. We were out of money. We were out of food. We were desperate. And God came. And he spoke with me. And he spoke this word. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Those words ricocheted around my mind and my heart. I am not my own. I'm bought. I'm purchased. I belong to Jesus. Do I then have the stupidity to steal myself away from Jesus and think I can bend him to my will? And make him obey what I want and do what I want and go where I go? It was very helpful to me when I was a child. I couldn't understand why Daddy would not take us to the movie house. The neighbors were all, their dads were taking them to the movie house. And so they invited me. And so I said, Daddy, can I go to the movie house? No, you can't. Why? Why can't I go to the movie house? And he very calmly answered back and said, because if you go in the movie house, Jesus won't go in with you. You'll have to go alone. I was dumbfounded. Jesus won't go with me some places? You mean I can go places and his presence will leave me because he doesn't want to defile himself? And he doesn't want me to defile myself? And so he won't enter that theater? I have a hard time with movies. Because they're so entertaining, they're so engaging. Open your mind and your heart and those values and those experiences and all of that floods into your soul unimpeded and becomes a part of you. 
and Jesus isn't present? He said, no. I have a hard time with people who want to have a movie that has good humor, good values, but then just a few drops of poison are put in that movie that come and reside in your soul that causes you to take actions. For example, a movie that teaches love and tolerance. Wonderful value of love. But does that movie cause me to then begin to love that which God does not love? Am I greater than God? No, I'm not. And so I can argue. I can go to that movie. Sure you can. Jesus won't be there with you. He won't be there with you. Instead, you will take into your soul those few drops of strychnine and that poison will work through your system and you will not even be consciously aware of it but you will have built within you the belief that God wants us to love everybody and to be tolerant of everybody's sin to keep your mouth shut and not confront wickedness when you run into it but to be pleasing before all people. After all, isn't that what the gospel's about? To be pleasing to everybody? No, it's not. God does not try to be pleasing to you. He is righteous. He is holy. And he expects me to line up with his values, not he lining up with my values. So we see today movies that are coming out and they're teaching tolerance and you should love the perversion of sexuality. You should love the person who is a a perversion of biblical sexuality. And then they say, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Can I tell you, in the scripture, there is no such distinction made. The sinner is going to face the fire of hell. So God's loving action toward that sinner is to confront them with their sin and to do everything possible while not violating their will, to draw them back out of that fire of wickedness where they will be destroyed. We don't want to do that. We want to love them in the midst of their sin. Well, if I talk to them about it, they're going to get angry. They're going to cut me off. I'm going to lose their their friendship. Well, whose friendship do you want? Do you want the friendship of Jesus or do you want their friendship? You can't have both. 
So here's here's Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter does not say to them, Look, you said you were going to give everything, and now you're only giving a portion. But you didn't say that. You want everybody to think that you're giving everything, and you've lied to God, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Now repent. Or, I understand. I understand. You have a right to give what you want to give. But let's let people know that you're only giving a portion. Instead, when Ananias heard Peter say to him, You've not lied to men, but to God. Ananias fell down, and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened to him. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and they buried him. If that doesn't terrify you, nothing can. And that's how callous your heart has become. Where you're determined you're going to do it your way. God is just going to have to understand. You don't want to lose these friends. You don't want to. You don't want to lose that man or you don't want to lose that woman that you're shacked up with. You don't want to lose your job, but you want money. And so you've been embezzling. You don't want to lose. You don't want to lose anything. You want to gain everything. So you're out grabbing and growling and getting what you can get. And everybody should just understand. I have to survive. Ananias didn't survive. Can you imagine what would happen in the body of Christ in America today if the Holy Spirit honestly showed up in the church? I think most who call themselves Christians would drop dead because we have all lied to God. Come on, let's be serious. We've all said if we're calling ourselves Christians that we belong to Jesus. That we belong to Jesus. And then we steal. We steal ourselves. We steal our time. We we steal our money. We steal from God. Now, what I want you to hear today is that God is very personal. It matters to him who you are and what you do. He is examining all that you say and all that you do, and he wants to see that there is a connection between what you say and what you do. Now, about three hours later, 
Remember, they don't have cell phones. They don't have the internet. News doesn't spread fast. His wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asks her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? How could you agree to lie? How could you agree to lie to God? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. And at that moment, she falls down at his feet and dies. Then the young men come in. They find her dead on the floor. They carry her out. They wrap her up, and they bury her beside her husband. And then this incredibly understated situation. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these events. I would say, terror grabbed them in the church because suddenly they saw you don't twist God left and right. He is the Almighty. He's not flexible over sin and righteousness. Sin just costs Jesus his life. This is very serious for God. He's not there playing patty cake with you. You can't pretend that you're some intelligent being and God has to align with what you think. So you turn your back on God and you're going to live your life the way you want to live it because it's pleasing to you. And you think you won't face the judgment of God? You will. Even as Ananias and Sapphira face the judgment of God, the penalty for sin is death. There is no such thing in the scripture as a sinning Christian. Either the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life. It's washed you clean of all sin. It's washed you clean of all unknown sin. It has made you righteous before God. Or you're a dead man. A dead man walking, a dead woman walking. And some of you today who are listening to this broadcast are dead men and women walking. You just haven't lost your breath yet, but you're on your way to losing the breath of life from your body and being cast into the abyss. That's terrifying to me. The apostles perform many miracles signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. 
This is not a drop-in church. You can die if you go to this place. For you can't bend God. You know, I know people who who think they can bend God to what they want, to what they think. They think they're right. They're thinking everybody else should align with me and what I think. I am the fountain of truth. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm not either. No man can be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus. That name is Jesus. And he doesn't bend. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. He's full of mercy. He's filled with love. But he will not compromise with sin. You can't make Jesus compromise with sin. He paid his life to not compromise with the devil. says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So there's something strange happening here. People are afraid to come and join them, and yet more and more people are joining them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is bringing such conviction into the hearts of men and women that they know this is the only door by which they can enter into salvation. And salvation has become more important for them than their pride, than their arrogance. The way of Christ is the way of salvation. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. And they're willing to say, okay, I give myself up. I will not be my own. I will be yours. Now, that also means you have to give up your strong opinions. We're so full of opinions here in America. Judgments and opinions. Stop it. My judgments and my opinions don't matter. As I said to a brother this morning, read the scripture for what it says and believe what it says. Don't try to combine it with something else. Don't try to twist it and interpret it. Just read the scriptures for what they say. They say plainly what they mean. So read the scriptures, pray the scriptures, and agree with the scriptures. Many men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. 
crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and their tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So they're arrested, and they're put in prison. And during the night, an angel of the Lord comes and opens the door of the jail, brings them out, and says, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they enter the temple courts, as they've been told to do, and they teach the people. Well, the Sanhedrin is in an uproar because they send for the prisoners, and there are no prisoners in their jail. Everybody's in place. The outside door is locked. The guards are all there, but there's no there's no Peter. There's no John. The disciples are gone. And then the word comes. They're standing in the temple, and they're teaching. They were immediately grabbed and brought back to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They were guilty of this man's blood. See, they want to twist it. You can't twist Jesus. The truth is the truth. A lie is a lie. Peter answers, and the other apostles are agreeing. We must obey God rather than man. For the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sin to Israel. We are witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit when God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, their hearts are cut. Now there is one of two responses in the book of Acts. The hearts are cut, and they say, what shall we do, brothers? And they say, repent. Get right with God. Or the other response is to be enraged and angry. And to want to murder. Verse 33, this is Acts, the fifth chapter, verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Gamal was there. He was a renowned teacher, a teacher of Paul, by the way. He made some recommendations, and his speech persuaded them to let these men go, not to kill them. They called the apostles in, and they flogged them. They beat them, bloodied their backs. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. So we have in this chapter, Ananias and Sapphira, who lie to the Holy Spirit, who want to compromise the gospel. And we have the apostles who say, thank God we've been beaten. We've we've been able to suffer for the name of Jesus. Two radical different positions. The disciples were not trying to wiggle their way and say, okay, we know we shouldn't have been preaching the name of Jesus. And we, and we understand that you're uncomfortable when we say that you're the murderer of Jesus. No, they didn't do that. It's time for us who call ourselves Christians to be straight up, to stop playing games with God. It's time for those of you who do not believe in Jesus to stop believing in your own lies and in yourself and turn and get right with Jesus. You have the time yet to make that decision, but you don't have much time. For soon, everything is going to go to judgment. Ananias and Sapphira did not plan on going to judgment that morning. They thought they could talk their way through this if they were discovered. They could not talk their way through. They dropped dead. Don't think you can talk through the wickedness of your heart and cover it over. You must make a decision. Are you going to serve Jesus or are you not? I've invited all of you who live in the D.C. metro area to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. That's hard for some of you. You know this is where you've been called by the Spirit, but you're not here. You've come up with compromises. You've come up with arguments, with accusations. When are you going to just straight up say, I belong to Jesus, and I'm going to walk in integrity in that. And I'm going to follow what he tells me to do. No matter what it costs me, I will be a follower of Jesus. Isn't it time? Isn't it time? Well, we're out of time for today. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come and bring the fear of you into our hearts that we would stop compromising with darkness, that we would walk clean before you, that we would do whatever is necessary in our life to cut out those portions that we've stolen from you, that we would totally belong to you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. I worship you, Jesus. Great 
Great is the name of Jesus, and no other name under heaven by which we shall be saved, save the name of Jesus. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you. I'd love to meet you. You're welcome to come and join us. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find where we are as a church and what time we meet. You'll also be able to give online if you believe this gospel ministry needs to go forward. We're not listener-supported. We're Jesus-supported. We're Holy Spirit-supported as he moves in your heart to give. If he's been calling you to give, then give, and give hilariously without holding back. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.